welcome to Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, it's me, Maggie. I am incredibly excited for today's episode. I am sitting down with an author to chat about her latest book. Please allow me to introduce today's guest on Novel Finds. I am interviewing Gabriela Romero LaCruz on her debut fantasy book, The Sun and the Void. I have been on such a huge fantasy kick recently, and this is my latest obsession. I've been telling everyone I know to read this. This is an epic fantasy tale and quest that I find to be really similar to Silvia Moreno-Garcia meets God Killer. Um, and I'm just so excited to welcome Gabriella to the podcast. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much for being here, uh, Gabriella. Thank you, thank you so much for liking my book. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm super I honored it. and excited. Oh my gosh, well, thank you for writing it. I have loved it. I I'm completely obsessed. First of all, the proof is gorgeous. Um, oh, like yeah. insanely beautiful book, and I I just really really loved the story and can't wait to delve into it more with you. Um. Gabriella, would you mind just giving us a brief synopsis of The Sun in the Void? Of course. So uh, The Sun in the Void is an epic fantasy story set in a world inspired by post-colonial Venezuela and Gran Colombia. It is about a young woman, Reina, who becomes indebted to her sorcerer's grandmother after her grandmother saves her life. To please her grandmother and the family her grandmother serves, Reina follows the legend of a dark, cruel god. This is a dual POV. So there's also the story of Eva, who is a young woman of mysterious, mysterious origins, who follows a path of darkness as she seeks to escape her family's plan for her. And eventually she uh, gets involved in Reina's path. Amazing. Amazing. So The Sun in the Void is inspired by South American folklore. Is this something that you've always been passionate about and like a story that you've really been interested in or what went into developing this book? Yeah. So when I started writing this book, it was from like this desire of seeing Venezuelan folklore and culture um, and a fantasy story. You know, I've always been a huge fan of epic fantasy, secondary fantasy, a huge nerd, uh, (laughs) (laughs) fantasy video games, uh, movies, books. Oh my gosh, when Game of Thrones came out, like that was the perfect TV show for me and book series as well. Um, Video games and anime. And they are all, or they were mostly uh, based around like European legends and history or uh, Japanese legends and history, Mm -hmm. you know, Growing up in Venezuela, I obviously like grew up immersed in a lot of stories, horror stories, folk tales, and you know the our history as a country. We have a rich history with, you know, uh, the mixture of Spanish, indigenous, and African roots, and uh, it's it's a nation that has developed from colonialism, and uh, we had a great history in the wars for independence, the revolution. And I always thought that this would, was a great place to set like a fantasy story. Mm-hmm. And I wish to read more fantasy stories that were set in a, in a world such as that. So um, 
when I was starting to write this story, it was kind of like born out of that desire, you know, like I want to be immersed in a world that feels like a post-colonial Venezuela, but there are sword fights, there are like different species, kind of like mm-hmm. how Tolkien had the elves and the orc. Yeah, so that's how me writing the story started. And as I was writing this this book, it was wonderful rediscovering the folklore and history of Venezuela because I I moved you know to the U.S. when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and back when I was growing up in Venezuela, like I didn't pay too much attention to the like the roots of the culture. Like it's just like it is what it is. Like I grew up with it. You know, there was a high school that was named after a historical figure. Like okay, I kind of knew what the historical figure did, but I didn't really like deep dive into it. Um, yeah. It wasn't until I moved here where, I mean, for a while, I didn't really bother with the culture either because uh, I was kind of assimilating to a, a brand new country. <laughs> different <laughs> yeah. uh, but eventually, once I was, I had like a foothold and I was, I felt quite quite integrated. And I, when I was writing this story, right, like searching for the the folklore and reading the history and like reading about the origins of the food. Um, it was just really exciting to rediscover a culture that I felt I was losing yeah. just from uh, not being immersed in it. So I, I got to, you know, like read more about El Silvón, La Sayona, Florentino y el Diablo, um, look at a lot of customs and festivities and, um, and and it helped me inform as I was building this world from scratch. Yeah, My mom, um, we have these encyclopedias that my mom collected and it's really interesting. So back in the 90s, this newspaper, El Nacional, they had this promotion where like, I think it was every Sunday in the, the newspaper issue, they would release a chapter of um, this book, which it was like a, an encyclopedia of traditions of Venezuela and also like history of Venezuela. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So they would, every it was like a chapter per like issue. And my mom would like she bought all those issues to collect every sim, uh, every chapter. And after the promotion was finished, she like took all those chapters and she took them to the shop where they were being bound. So I have like these really cool, uh, like really unique uh, encyclopedia of traditions, and I use that to kind of like help me form inform this world. That is amazing! Oh my yeah. gosh, that's so cool. It's, it's really priceless. Um, I don't know if you can find it online currently. <laughs> Actually, I was looking and I think they have like a website where they uploaded uh, a lot of that information. So it's great that it's not lost. Oh, that um, is good. Yeah. Yeah. But but I do want to say that um, the son of the boy doesn't seek to inform or educate mm-hmm. about the culture and the history. I am merely, I created a secondary world inspired by yeah. the culture and the history um, so a lot of the things in this in this world are just things that I, I made up to make it like a different, a, a brand new world. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not the food. <laughs> food is like pretty much like one to one. Uh, but and, and I and I I also you know made sure that I, I researched the horticulture, um, how things were grown, uh, which trees and, and produce was uh, like you know around because of colonialism or if it was endemic sure. to the area um because surprisingly this is a surprising amount of like trees that you know you grow up seeing all your life and it turns out that they're not endemic from where you are because you know wow. they're right over i think 
I think uh, someone said that like plantains, they're not endemic South America. Like they came from Southeast Asia. And that oh, just no like way. blew my mind. Yeah. yeah. That, just, <laughs> that just like blew my mind because there's so much of our cuisine that is just like yeah. plantains and bananas. So, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's wild. That's super, super interesting. I remember reading that I think your journey started in science. Is that correct? And yeah. you just felt more drawn, I guess, to the arts. Would you mind telling us a bit about that? Yeah, of course. You know, I grew up in a developing country. <laughs> so uh, that, that wasn't like an aspiration that, and my family is really poor. They come from really humble uh, back, backgrounds and beginnings. And actually, I no one in my family actually reads. And there were like never any books in my house. Um, I think the first book that I probably picked up over there is just like nonfiction for history, you know, for school or like for learning Spanish or just like a handful classics that are taught in like Spanish class. Mm -hmm. My grandma kind of raised me. She didn't really like read. Um, so like, yeah, there was not a culture of reading that I was immersed in, but I got into it because I kind of, so I was really super into anime yeah, and, and video games. Um, firstly, it was, it was like a, a gateway drug almost. So anime was what started it because there were some animes that like, that were broadcasted in Venezuela. And, uh, and I, I got super into sci-fi and fantasy because of that and video games. And I was looking up my favorite characters online and that's how I stumbled into fan fiction yeah. for those characters. And that kind of like opened up a whole new world of reading for me. I was reading so much fan fiction and I started also contributing to those communities and I started writing. That is amazing. I, I started writing fan fiction, I think when I was like 12 and, and, and I was, I was reading, doing it to learn English as well. Um, I, I, I briefly lived in California when I was nine 10, okay. like around the, whenever 9-11 happened and then I moved back to Venezuela so I and I had been in an ESL class so I had maybe like six months of English learning so I had kind of like some basic English yeah which is what I used when I went online a lot of the websites were in English you know the old internet was really cool was really open there was like a lot of so like a brand new frontier you know yeah and uh so yeah when I discovered fan fiction it like changed me completely made me a lover reading and writing and then when I moved to the U.S. again and when I was a teenager I loved going to the library I would spend so much time just reading books uh, but because there wasn't much of a culture of reading I always assumed that like well for me then my family didn't have much of a culture of reading I found that or I thought that in order to publish a book right and publish a book you had to be like a university professor like someone that already exists within like this literary literary realm and you have to be like someone with those credentials yeah you know? of course of course yeah so, and 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 for me like what my family always taught me was like you have to pursue a stable career in some kind of like corporate company an office job that's going to you know give you stability in life so I didn't really see a, a path tours being a writer that was just like a fun thing that I did reading books and uh reading and writing fan fiction that was just like a fun thing that I did and I went into chemical engineering mm -hmm. I was I was a fan of illustrating I was I was always drawing as well yeah but again a career in the arts is not something that was ever promoted in my life um so 
I had this plan that I was going to become an engineer as like my backup plan. And after I was an engineer, I was going to be an illustrator. That was my plan when I was like in high school. So like, yeah, writing was never there. And I, you know, I went through school. I, I did my chemical engineering program and it's a really taxing career yeah. to study. It's really hard. It was really hard. We Our program on the at U of H, the University of Houston, it's really, was really complicated. And like, I just had to let go of everything else. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. really invested in drawing much. Sometimes I would write and read like just for fun, but it wasn't really, you know, I had to give it my old engineering. Yeah. And through that, I kind of forgot that my plan was to have engineering as, as my backup. And it, instead, it became like my main thing. Yeah. And so I immediately started working after I graduated. And I, I started building my engineering career. And I enjoyed it. It was, I was good at it. I, mm-hmm. I had a lot of, I had career success in chemical engineering and oil and gas. And it was uh, thanks to that, that I kind of had like this foundation, this financial foundation that I was able to build in order for me to do what I'm doing right now, you know? Oh, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and so I, I continued writing and illustrating like in the evenings or during lunch breaks. So eventually when I was a couple of years into my engineering career, I kind of felt unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this is not it. Like, this is really what's going to be the rest of my life. And I thought to myself, like, what happened to my plans that I had, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was around this time, I remembered that I picked up Divergent by oh, Veronica. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the book. And I, I looked at the author and I saw that she was a young woman. And I was like, wait a minute. You don't have to be like a 60-year-old university professor to publish a book. Like you can be a young woman such as myself to do this. And that's kind of like, it opened up a whole new world for me. And I started just like really researching and like, I went into all these writing communities that, and a lot of people were writing, you know, seeking publication. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kind of got, I that's kind of like made up the idea in my head that like, okay, I am going to publish a book. I'm going to be an author. And because I I was like good at writing and I, I felt proud of my writing skills that I had developed, you know, since I've been writing since I was yeah. 12. So so then I wrote my first book. It was uh, YA sci-fi uh, with some superhero stuff in there. And I spent like a lot of time writing that and a lot of dedication went into editing it, editing it going out critique partners, beta readers, you know, all that. And it was to the point where I um, was about to query it to agents Mm-hmm. literary representation that I kind of realized you know maybe this is not the book that I want to add to the literary canon like I don't know this didn't feel like the right book right to publish like to have my name on like it was a good book but I didn't want to um spend more energy on it I don't I didn't believe in it as much yeah and that's when I decided to go into writing a epic fantasy incredible a secondary epic fantasy <laughs> and I was like oh this sounds scary but if it sounds scary maybe it's the right thing for me to do and I was super naive back then I I didn't know how much like 
work was going to have, you know, I have to put into this, like how hard it was going to be, how many hours, how many tears, like I had no idea oh, no. what was ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, and I went into it with that idea, like, you know, there are so many, like, I was thinking of like so much anime and books that are like inspired by medieval settings, like, and they have all these cool characters. And I, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to do that for Venezuela. I want to have a Venezuelan book that has like sword fights and magic and countries that conflict, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That is amazing. I mean, that was a really long uh, journey. (laughs) No, thank you so much. I mean, like a huge win for us that you got your novel published because it is absolutely incredible. And I just want to say a huge shout out to Veronica Roth for inspiring you <laughs> to oh, yeah. write your book. It's opened my eyes that it was <laughs> yeah. So would you mind if we sort of delved into more of the fantasy world um, of The Sun and the Void? Specifically, I'm really curious about um, the gods and the magic system. I thought it was so interesting. You have, you're in the point of view of two different characters, but a lot of the, you know, main characters, um, Javier, Celeste, and then Reina and and Ava all have a very different belief system or a different God that they believe in. Um, And I I just wanted to know, like, what went into building that and what went into really the magic system is so unique. Um, And I I was so curious about how you developed that. As far as the magic system. So I wanted to see if there's a way to introduce some of my chemical engineering background into this. Um, spoiler alert, I didn't do much of that. <laughs> my chemical engineering knowledge into this. Uh, because if I, if I went too hard on the science aspect, then it would like go into our science fantasy or I don't know, like steampunk. Anyway, that's not the kind of fantasy I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. But I was actually, I was a little bit inspired of how uh, Brandon Sanderson handled Mistborn and how he had his medals uh, for like activating the magic. Yeah. Um, so, that that was kind of I read I read Mistborn like around the time when I started writing the Son of the Void, and okay. that inspired me um, to create a magic system where like characters uh, needed reagents that were uh, achieved via solution of a metal, a mm-hmm. rare like an earth a metal that could be found on Earth in ores, and also have so that's how I ended up with lithium, gallium, bismuth, um, which are lithium, gallium, bismuth, and also have a another metal that cannot be found on earth and comes from a meteor which is iridium iridium and this this metal is this reagent in solution is so valuable because of it's, it's a scarce resource and it feeds into the economy of the world mm-hmm. so it, it gives power to the family who owns all of it and oh by the way how spoilery are we on this uh, you you may spoil <laughs> you <laughs> can spoil as much as you want to um but it is releasing just before your book is out so that is <laughs> that is up to you okay <laughs> i can okay. give i'll give a spoiler warning anytime you say anything so that people have the opportunity to jump ahead if they want okay. to okay Sorry for the side note. <laughs> you're, no, you're good. You're good. Yeah. So if you please delve into as much as you want, but 
if it's going to be a spoiler, just flag it and okay. I, I'll put a little sticker in there. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, where were we? The radio. Yeah, so yes. it, it's, um, I wanted it all to tie together and it was really exciting to figure out ways where every, everything just kind of like connected with each other. So um, in, this, in this society, because I wanted to have a world that had a sense of danger in the wilderness, that's where the tinieblas came in. Yeah. And the way to, you know, protect from tinieblas, then a radio is necessary. So then there's this need, this demand for it. And the, the most powerful family owns the radio and, and they're masters of it. And so, and they're powerful because they have that economic power within this world. That was really exciting to like put together. Yeah. And also, like, you know, Reina, she has a kind of like an economy of her own, you know, like she needs a radio. So that puts her in a, like that adds another layer where she is connected to this family, not just to the Aguilas, but also like to her grandmother. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she's going to need a radio. So either way things turn out, she either has to like stay with his family and you know follow the whims of Enrique, Don Enrique, who is the head of the family, or figure out a way where she can get a radio independently. But it's yeah. like really hard because it's so expensive, right? And and because Aguilas control all of it. And um, this ties to how Ramagut is the source of tinieblas. So there, we have like this god that's feared by by society, by the societies, and and with good reason, right? Because mm-hmm. he's the source for like this danger that's in the wilderness and the tinieblas who are drawn to Iridia. So it just creates another layer of complexity for the characters. And uh, we have like the legend of the nine wives, which informs or like leads the, the later part of the, the plot. Yeah. And um, the comet that's named after Ramagut, Ramagut's claw, which is, you know, another driving force in the story. And and I also wanted to have like um, the opposite of Ramagut, which is chess. But he plays like a more passive world, a role in this world at the time. <laughs> but he's like worshipped by the Nazarians. And so I, I feel like in order to have this world feel lived in, I, I needed to have like different perspectives. Yeah. So that's what kind of like what the characters do. Everyone, well, not everyone, but like every character or the different factions that have different beliefs and different moral compasses. And it just helps show, paint different pictures of the beliefs and help helps give me a layer to yeah. the the world so that it feels real, you know. I, it has to feel real in order for the reader to feel transposed there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was just really, really well done to sort of get all of these different perspectives and, you know, as the reader to not really know what was actually right or wrong, but to feel like their drive and to understand why the characters believed certain things were right or wrong for them. Yeah. And, and, and I, I wanted to like make sure that this world felt like kind of big. So mm-hmm. in Galeno, there's different beliefs, like Pentimentos is stronger, has more power than in other places. For, whereas like in Salud Fuerte, the people are not as close to the use of Hiamancia. <clears throat> so giving that distance, I, I thought would, expand the vastness and the scope of the world you know yeah yeah that definitely makes sense um that ties in just a little bit to my next question 
and that is the characters. I I loved I loved the characters in this book, and I loved how many dynamic female characters were in and and like prominent roles were in this story. You had Reina and Ava and Celeste and um, I don't know how to pronounce her name, Mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely stunning. Did you have one that you enjoyed writing the most? And do you have one that you kind of felt that you were most similar to or drawn to writing? I enjoyed to write Ursulina so much. Mm-hmm. I felt like she had so much, like such a rich, or deep history, complicated history, and her background, how she came to be to the in this, in this like the relationship with the other characters yeah. is so interesting. How she has a history with Don Enrique's mom, and how she's viewed within the society as a dangerous woman. I also love how ambitious she was. Yeah, and I uh, I really enjoy writing her like. She just has so much style, ambition, and she's really smart. And she understands so much of the world. It's just a societal convention. So that kind of informs the things that she does and why she allows, she she does things that are morally wrong or morally gray. Um, I think she's just done. Like She's fed up. She's like, I'm old. Yeah. This is my last chance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done being good. <laughs> Fair. She's um, got to go for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and all her scenes were really fun to write. Her dialogue was really fun to write. Uh, I don't know if she ever says, like, enough of this. But, like, <laughs> me and my husband, we made it a meme. <laughs> like, enough of this. And that's, like, something that Selena would say. <laughs> it's so is The second she came onto the page, I felt like she just commanded the room. Like, I feared her and respected her so much instantly. Yes, absolutely. I loved uh, writing her. Uh, yeah, it, it felt easy to write her because it was fun, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as a character that's closest to me, maybe, I don't know, maybe Celeste. And, and maybe that's why, like, uh, I don't know, I don't treat her as nicely as the other ones. I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> no, she she just has so much to figure out. Her All of her worldviews had to change, right? Yeah, she's one of my least favorite characters, so I don't know what that says. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, but I, but I, when I was when I was writing her, I definitely wanted to show how some people have privilege, you know, and they're mm. just born with it. And you know, really, when you come into the world, any world, like it's just like random how you end up. Like your yeah. life circumstances where you're determined from where you're born who you're born to, who your family is, what resources you have. And Celeste, she's born into a place of privilege. And uh, a lot of her actions are informed by that. And she's kind of blinded to the suffering of others. Or, and you know, she's also like informed by her upbringing, like Laurel's upbringing of her, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she has two like opposing forces in her upbringing. Like she has Laurel, who is a, nice kind woman and then she also has her father Enrique who will not hesitate to hurt whoever's in the way of getting what he wants yeah and he has all the power and influence and money in the world to do so so like and and so she also sees herself as like the superior being because like you know her what her bloodline is 
and how her parents have raised her to be like this heiress. So she's so privileged. Yeah, I, she definitely is. But I find, I feel like we, at least for me as a reader, I grew to love her because of Reina's like respect for her. I mm-hmm. thought that that was really interesting that she was so such a, like a devoted um, like friend and companion, and and she felt like true love for this person who Celeste couldn't really see beyond what she already knew. I suppose. Yeah, in in that point in their lives, they need each other. Mm-hmm. Celeste is a lonely girl. She's been she's kind of in this gilded cage, and Reina doesn't have anybody, and she finally has someone that doesn't treat her badly and actually. Is genuine, genuine in introducing her to this new life. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah. Um, they kind of need each other at that point. And yeah. so I definitely see, I definitely see where Reina's adoration, adoration came from. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Gabriella, you mentioned that you are an artist. You are an amazing artist. I you. saw your website. I've like scrolled through your Instagram and seen your work for your characters in The Sun and the Void. And I reference them <laughs> a lot during my reading and I just love them so much. Um, did you like, you know, draw sketches of your characters before or while you were writing your book? And what is it like to now see some of the fan art that people are doing of your characters? Uh, well, actually, I had a really hard time drawing mm-hmm. my characters while I was writing the book. Yeah. The art that you see I was able to make it after I like submitted, like my book was done, like completely edited off to like the printer. Like, okay. That's, that was when I was finally able to depict the characters in a 2D illustration. And I think this has to do with the fact that when I was developing this story, you know, I was also developing the characters and it wasn't until I was having like completely fleshed out and I had an idea who they were and you know what they felt like that I was finally I think I had to do like that's why I was not able to properly depict them and also was I was afraid I was afraid Mm -hmm. to depict them in a 2D because when I was doing it it just felt cartoonish it didn't feel like a complete depiction of them so it was just really weird how that happened I I did attempt to sketch them or or and it was unsuccessful sketches or even the idea of drawing them it, it just didn't sound right. I remember someone asking me this like a, a year ago, like, oh, well, have you ever drawn your characters? So why don't you draw your characters too to put them in your book? And I was like, no, I don't know. Like my characters just feel too real and I don't yeah. know how to depict them. And maybe some of that had to do with me finding confidence in my illustration as well and my skills. So while I was growing as an, as an author, as a writer, I was also working on my illustrations. So I... I I've been working on those things concurrently and uh, yeah, I definitely didn't feel like I had the skills to properly depict them in the past. And I think at this, I've arrived to a point right now where I finally have achieved those skills and then I gave myself the courage to do that. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's completely relatable for so many people who I know for me personally, when you create something, it can be so hard to have the courage to share it. And especially because yours was a bit, of a twofer you're already sharing your book to the world and then you would also be doing illustrations so I think yeah. that's completely relatable yeah and as far as fan art I've seen a couple and it's really amazing I I love 
I love seeing it. It really warms my heart that someone would invest emotional energy and their time to depict characters that like basically came out of my head. Like that part yeah. is wild to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely understand that, but your characters mean so much to people already. It's so lovely to see. It's, it's amazing. It is amazing. Um, I, <laughs> I need to get used to this, that <laughs> they are actually out there, you know, and yeah. they, they are now people's characters, not just my characters is theirs as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now I don't want to be like too spoilery with the end of the book, but I know that the sun and the void is a part of the warring gods book number one. Mm-hmm. So I am curious, do you have anything that you are most excited to continue writing any storylines you're most excited to continue developing? I am super excited to continue writing about the gods. Mm-hmm. And you know how the story ended. Um, book two is going to have a lot more of them. And it's just really fun to have them. Amazing. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. I know the first book hasn't come out, but I'm already buzzing for the second one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still working on the second one, so it's going to take a while. That's no problem. <laughs> so um, before we wrap up, just a bit of a fun, silly, fantasy-themed question. So Gabriella, if you lived in a fantasy world, what type of animal or supernatural being do you think would be your partner and or sidekick on your quest? I have several. Okay. <laughs> and it depends on the in the application that you use or like what I'm doing, right? So sure. Um, my first answer would be like a canine, because I love dogs. I yeah. have dogs, they are my life, and just having like a dog companion anywhere it sounds really appealing to me. But if I was like a warrior, like a badass warrior, sure. like Reina, yeah, I would have like a, a feline, like a jaguar. Oh uh, yeah, that would you know help me? They would also be like soft and beautiful, but also like deadly, or something like a condor. Like the idea of flying is yeah. sounds so appealing to me. So if this condor can support me, and I don't know, this condor is like armored, and we are just like going through the world like a badass companion, that would be amazing. Um, or a velociraptor. Oh. <laughs> Out of nowhere, a dinosaur. <laughs> um, fun fact, no one knows actually. There was a Velociraptor companion in the first draft of the second. <laughs> oh my gosh. Are you serious? I'm serious. I'm serious. His name, I remember his name. His name was Lauren. Um, obviously inspired by my own desire to have a Velociraptor companion. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like a mouse. Uh, Velociraptor mount that was also like my best friend, and it's vicious to my enemies. And just, I mean, I grew up with Jurassic Park. A lot of a lot of us, a lot of us did, right? So of course. Oh uh, my gosh, Velociraptor is just so cool. I am so sorry we lost him. I know. It just I just didn't feel like it would fit. Uh, I think that I would makes have sense. to. I would have to go in a different direction. I don't know, but I thought it was for the best that uh, to come out. Yeah. And, well, uh, yeah. Maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is stunning. That's amazing. I mean, perfect answer. <laughs> uh, well, before we let you go, um, do you have a favorite independent bookshop where people can purchase your book, The Sun and the Void? 
Yes. Right now, I am partnered with Murder by the Book, which is an indie bookstore in Houston. And I am doing a pre-order campaign with them. If anyone pre-orders from them before June 25th, they will receive a beautiful enamel pin that I designed. And the book will also come signed. Uh, Another one that I want to shout out is Kindred Stories. Uh, They are a Black-owned indie bookstore in Third Ward in Houston. And I went to an event there and the staff is amazing. And I definitely want to like come by and sign stock for them so that they have signed uh, books. So I also recommend them. And anybody that pre-orders is on the void, they can submit to my pre-order incentive campaign. Um, as long as it's not Amazon, though, I'm excluding Amazon from the from the campaign. Feels fair. And and uh, if they submit the receipts, they will receive like this gorgeous foil bookmark that I also designed. It has gold foil. Ooh, uh, yeah, so, amazing. Yeah, you can get a, a sign book, a bookmark, and a pin if you do all those things. So. That is amazing. Well, for those of you who are interested in purchasing the book. I will post links to those bookshops in the episode description, as well as share those pre-order incentives so you guys can get all of those really fun, very cool, special goodies. And Gabriella, final, final question for you. I'm so sorry. Um, Where can people find you if they're interested in locating your art or your social media or um, following your book journey? Sure. So if Anyone is interested in seeing the character artwork for The Sound of the Void, the map of the world, content warnings, and some reviews. I have all that in thesunonthevoid.com and also pre-order links there as well. So information about the book. You can see the art and the map for those who are like reading on a Kindle and they don't have like easy access to the map. They can just go to that website and just click on it and see the higher resolution. Um, That'd be great. That's amazing. Yeah, and I'm on Instagram. Um, if you're interested in following me, personal life and author journey, in, at Gabriela Romero La Cruz. And uh, for those who are interested in my illustration work, I am the Moonborn anywhere. So Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, just t- like you type on Google the Moonborn. That's me. <laughs> Amazing. Well, for all of that, the Sun in the Void artwork her social medias and Moonborn. I will link all of that in the episode description as well. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Gabriella, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. I know we only got through a handful of the questions, but it was an like an absolute blast chatting with you. And I had such a wonderful time. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is my first podcast, so I'm Woo! super happy to be here with you guys. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy to talk about this book. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. Just got to like get into it, you know? Absolutely. There is a lot of good stuff in The Sun and the Void, and I cannot wait to give this book to everybody I know. <laughs> Thank you. I know there's some like uh, book clubs that are doing The Sun and the Void, um, so it, I can't Ooh. wait to be invited and then we can go, we can do like a full spoiler chat. That would be amazing. Yes, that would be amazing. Um, yeah, that would be fab. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, well, Gabriella, thank you so, so very much. And we will see you soon. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, we heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family. And if you're listening with Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. I am off to do my newest video for our Patreon. I am now doing a series where I will be talking about all the books that I am currently reading every single month as I no longer have an Instagram to post about them. <laughs> um, and if you are interested in joining our Novel Finds community on the Patreon, please follow the link in our bio. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. Thank you so much for being a novel friend. We will see you all next week.